I, I might ca- contradict myself on that whole being charitable thing when we get to the Guelph game, but nonetheless, shout out to real, real bitter and fickle alumni this weekend. I love, I love to see when it comes out of you. Zach. It's hey, it's it's it ain't it ain't me. It ain't just me. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Me and Nate are on the mics to break down the Thanksgiving slate of games that came your way here in week seven of the OUA. Uh, Nate, I'll, I'll throw you just off the jump and we'll naturally cover this question as we go through each of these games. Did we learn anything this weekend? Uh, I'm going to I'm going to avoid your question. I'm going to say, you know, <laughs> I went this weekend thinking it was going to be pretty chalked, and I think a lot of people did as well. Um, you know, and there were a couple, let's say, interesting moments in a couple of games. You know, Windsor York, uh, it got a bit scary for the Lancers uh, in North Toronto uh, on Friday night, but you know they pulled it out. But I think you know maybe Mac, you might feel at least a little bit better about Windsor. I don't know, maybe you feel a little bit worse about. But other than that, I feel like it's pretty much a par for the course as far as I'm concerned. Would you agree? Yeah. And uh, we'll kind of get to this when we get into each games. Uh, you and I both attended OUA games this weekend. And oh, my goodness. You know, I, I, I forget just the things you pick up being in the stadium and getting to see who's on the field. But sometimes more importantly, who's not on the field. But we'll get to that briefly. So let's start with some hardware for the weekend. Let's go offensive players of the game. Uh, Nate, who are you liking in this one? Uh, I'm going to go to our initial game, the Thursday nighter, because, you know, as uh, the score maybe ended up being a bit lopsided, but there are a couple interesting moments, um, you know, due to that Waterloo um, blitzing tendency, let's say. Um, but I'm going to give it to Taylor Algersma, um, you know, 18 to 32, 313, two touchdowns and two long bombs. Uh, to Ethan Jordan and Raiden Thorne, who, you know, both themselves had spectacular games that could have been, you know, mentioned here. So it's worth mentioning. Um, but I think really, you know, when that game was maybe getting a little close and getting a little interesting, um, being able to take advantage of the blitz and really a couple really nice, you know, dimes or dots. I don't know what the preferred term is these days. I'm a few years removed, but uh, some spectacular throws on display from that Laurier passing attack. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, we can get more into that uh, when we get to that game shortly. You know, I, I definitely looked at this game for an offensive player uh, of the week candidate because also Quentin Scott's numbers pops off the page, and he had a very strong performance. Notably, of course, his last touchdown, which was, I, I don't know if that was his long, um, but Jack Moore, love you to bits. You do a great job on the calls. If you thought you were the any bit, if you were, if you were being the least bit subtle in talking about why that was so substantial with him getting that touchdown, my brother, you were not. Um, but shout out to Algers, my great performance and a good statement win by, uh, by the Golden Hawks. We'll get to that one briefly. I'm going to go to the game that you were in attendance for the, uh, Western Mustangs taking out UFT at varsity stadium. And, I think we've done this gimmick before. I shouldn't call it a gimmick as a former offensive lineman. But I'm going to give my offensive player of the game to the Western Mustangs offensive line. I mean, Edward Bernardi, 213 yards and four TDs on his own. But then Keon Edwards had 139 and two touchdowns as well. I, I mean, that's that's crazy. Like, on the whole, you rush for 362 yards and six TDs. 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna split the baby in half. We're not gonna go with some you know ancient civilization type justice. I'm giving it to the five dudes up front, opening those gaps um, for whoever wanted to run the ball for the Western Mustangs. And uh, shout out that incredible group. Um, moving over to the defensive side of the ball, who do you like? Yeah, maybe the most impressive performance on the weekend, but it was that MAC defense. You know, five picks in the game. You kind of have your pick of who you wanted uh, from this one from the MAC defense. You know, I'm going to mention a couple guys. Demetrius Masuka ended up having two picks on the day. Um, you know, Josh Cumber with the pick, Dylan Hillier with the pick. But I'm going to go with the big man, Beckos, who had the pick six on the game. Um, really kind of put an exclamation point on that one. And, you know, just overall, a really dominant performance by that MAC defense. So, you know, a lot of deserving candidates, but I'm going to go with the Beckos. Guelph had 131 yards total offense. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, very well deserving. Great performance, I guess, by that MAC defense. Uh, a question of did you win it or did the other team lose it? Probably a bit of both, but I'll move on to my pick. Um, I'm going to go back to the uh, Thursday night game, Battle of Waterloo, <clears throat> and shout out a guy that. Almost had two picks in Laurier's last outing, and uh, this time when he got the ball in his hands, made no mistake of taking it all the way to the house, and that's Patrick Burke Jr. with the first major of the game, the interception that he took back for 58 yards, also credited with a breakup on the play, and you know, as we start to see, and you know, Shamari got two interceptions. One was you know, on the last play of the game, I believe, and he definitely tried to take it back to the house as opposed to just taking it down. Love you, Shamari. That's a, it's a that's a Shamari play if I if I seen one. Um, I love starting to see Laurier defenses start to get those turnovers because that's what made me fall in love with this defensive squad. And obviously, it's not the same as it was last year, but a team that gets after that ball, ball hawks a bit and can uh, rip the ball loose from ball carriers as well. But shout out to Patrick Burke Jr. in that effort. Last but certainly not least, special teams. Nate, who are you liking? No, I'm going to pass it back to you here. Oh. I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> you bastard. Um, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make my life easy then and uh, go with Benjamin McDonald. I think we shouted him out before, but the, uh, the man kicking the threes for the McMaster Marauders goes four for five in this one, handling, of course, punting and kickoff duties for uh, Mac as well. Uh, it was, you know, I, I was in attendance for this game. It was a windy night, as it most likely was at all the games. Um, so good on him for uh, math, 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 single-handedly. Well, no, single-handedly outscoring uh, Guelph Griffins, the Guelph Griffins. So uh, shout out to Benjamin McDonald. Uh, balls in your court, Nate Hobbs. Uh, I'm going to go to, you know, the most electric game of the weekend, uh, the Windsor-York game. Um, which is funny because you could take that sarcastically or not because it was an exciting game after all. <laughs> but um, I'm going to go with a guy who is a, you know, a picture of efficiency, four for four on field goals on the day, uh, Bray Litster. Um, and, you know, just a good performance. And if I'm not mistaken, that also singly um, outscores the the York Well, the offense didn't even score the touchdown. So I can't even say the York offense, but York in general. So, <laughs> way to go Brady Litster um, and Windsor on eventually figuring that one out as all teams do against your it turns out kickers are not only people they are in fact football players too um, so let's get into the actual start with the Thursday night matchup battle of Waterloo 
Final score in this ball game, the Wilfred Laurier Golden Hawks 43, the Waterloo Warriors 22. And, you know, the cross, you know, crosstown rivalry, if you know anything about where these schools are situated, doesn't do it justice. It is literally the down the street rivalry. And as I alluded to as well, you know, that final score. You know, this this game kind of happened in a few stages, if you will, because it was a tight matchup through the first half. Um, and then, of course, as I was alluding to, Waterloo, pardon me, Laurier put up another touchdown it, it seemingly in, in, in true garbage time as well. So, you know, to Waterloo's credit, keeping it close in this one on the whole. You already mentioned the performance of Elgersma. And, you know, overall, 18 of 32, the efficiency not necessarily you know, as sharp as I think we've seen in previous games and not to compare him to say, to say Evan Hillock, who's just, you know, you talked about Litster being the the picture of efficiency from the passing standpoint. I mean, it's hard to think of anyone, but, uh, but Hillock in that regard, when you look at a performance like this by Elgersma, kind of taking away the, the, just the fantastical nature of it with these, you know, the deep, the, the two massive deep shots. I, I'm still, I'd be, I'll take any argument that he doesn't have the strongest arm in the OUA at all. It, does this kind of compare with a game if, say, he came out and maybe had 250, one touchdown, but that efficiency was a little tighter? Is there things to take away from a game where it's like, okay, like maybe he has an efficient game one day, maybe he has a more sort of spectacular game in this game? in this respect like how do that how does that weigh into you as a quarterback someone who knows the position when you see a performance like this and it's it's a great you know great day on the whole for him does is this different from seeing a game where you don't have necessarily those those big shiny plays but maybe the efficiency is a little uh a little nicer yeah and i think you know to a large extent that waterloo defense played a role in kind of you know not necessarily i guess dictating what what was going to be available for laurier on the day and really kind of that efficiency we're used to some of the zone slice stuff um, was really kind of being eliminated by that pressure, which, you know, we saw them, you know, try these same things against U of T last week and, you know, they were able to have some success, but at the same time, obviously um, Laurier, um, you know, seemingly just by the result, much more capable of kind of diagnosing that and finding the remedies um, than that U of T offense. And really, you know, um, just lighting them up when the opportunity presented itself and, you know, it's going to be tricky and kind of finding that consistency when you're in kind of that high pressure situation often. And, you know, when you're taking deep shots like that, these are definitely not high percentage throws. We're not, you know, expecting you to be efficient in this scenario, but, you know, lucky enough to connect on a couple of them. And there are a couple of others that, you know, maybe were close, but just not connecting. But this was definitely something that in game, you would kind of see them saying, okay, if they're going to get after us, then, you know, we're going to take our shots and we're going to not necessarily live and die by this, but you know what, like you absolutely have to make them pay for playing that way and and you know lesser team might not be able to do that but laurier proving that they're capable of of making that adjustment on the fly and obviously have the weapons to go and get it done yeah and i think it was on the jordan touchdown to your point about the pressure and still finding his guy where he took a nice he took a good shot and no doubt sort of knew in the face of that pressure where his read was going to be, hucked it down to his guy. And I think it was on the Ethan Jordan 86-yarder. Um, just put it right in the spa, right in the phone booth for him. And, uh, you know, Jordan took it the rest of the way. You know, when we talk about in this matchup, the weapons, and there's definitely more things on the Laurier side to get to um, in this game that we haven't yet. One thing that I think's flown under the radar a little bit, and we talked about, we've talked about him sort of intermittently, but just with the lack of team performance, we need to spend at least a moment to talk about what a year James Basiliga is having for a team that, you know, as we said, 
it's it's a under the radar let's say under under, yeah we'll call the season as a whole perhaps under the radar and but you know for him playing with a first year or a first time starting quarterback he's leading the OUA he's tied right now in touchdowns with Savon Magne Jones at seven touchdowns the next highest uh next highest pass catchers are at four apiece right he's leading in total yards averages and it's just we talked about when it was Yumi and Tom in that preview pod on we don't know who's going to be the quarterback necessarily and whoever it is is going to be young and a first-time starter. But having a guy like Basiliga, having a guy like Gordon Lamb, and Lamb's obviously had a, a bit of a, a lackluster year, uh, unfortunately. But, you know, what do you make of just what Basiliga has been able to do with predominantly Nolan Caban, but then sprinkling a, even a little Nick Orr from here and there, just still being able to be just by the numbers, like the most effective receiver in Ontario this year. I mean, it's a baller and it's one thing to like be doing things on schedule, but like in watching some of these Waterloo performances, it's definitely like got a bit of a, a you know, I, I, was, I don't know the right word, but a baller quality in that he's going to go and help you out with those 50, 50 balls. And I could tell you, you know, for a young quarterback, uh, that's, you know, tremendous to have that kind of, you know, I guess it's a bit of a, it can be a bit of a boost for your stats. Um, and I can also maybe get you into some bad habits, but um, you know, I don't know what is, what is, what his pro status is or anything like that, but I think, you know, definitely a, a guy that stood out, I think over week in and week out, like I, I think it's always been good numbers from him um, and kind of carrying that, that Waterloo offense along and helping kind of the young guys come through the system. And, you know, that can make a big difference for the program as a whole. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm very fond of a couple of, of my big receivers that helped me early on. You know, I had Curtis Carmichael. I had a little a little guy by the name of Doug Corby uh, when I was a young kid. And, you know, sometimes you make some interesting throws. And I remember, you know, the following year making those same interesting throws. And uh, let's just say I ended up breaking the Queen's record for interceptions in a single season. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't, you ought to be careful that, you know, you're not getting in some bad habits as a quarterback. But. Um, I think at the end day, obviously, for for whatever this season's worth for Waterloo, I think uh, you know it's a great performance, and you know they'll uh, keep putting along here with the last couple of games and and putting up some no- more numbers, hopefully. You also got to throw the ball to a guy named Chris Osikusi as well. Can we just make sure? Well, I was. I'm just. Uh, you know, I'm <laughs> I wasn't a young guy at that point. Fair. Fair, fair, fair. You you were a wily veteran, <laughs> slinging it downfield. Um. What do I want to mention next? Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the Lori defense. It had been consistent all year, starting to come on a little stronger now, uh, turning the ball over, which really excites me because I feel like that's been a component of how Laurier, uh plays defense year in, year out. <clears throat> Pardon me. A guy who doesn't necessarily jump off your stat sheet, but had Nolan Caban running every which way uh, on Thursday night is Luke Brubacher, who... Uh, I think he's listed at like six five, six six, you know, two four, two fit somewhere in that range. I, I forget. I remember hearing about his story on one of the broadcasts last year. A guy, I think he, he, I don't think he's from like a football background. I think he was a boxer and then came out on the team. This guy, I mean, and and for all the things with Waterloo that they're you know young and and up and coming, their offensive line is a big part of that as well and still being pretty young. But my goodness, he was chasing Caban 
all over the field and it doesn't jump off the stats because he didn't necessarily always catch him but a guy that you know when you're looking at you know how deep can this Laurier team go is a guy that's gonna you know be big for them down the line and he's already been huge for them as well and gives guys like Patrick Burke and like Shamari Hutchison in the secondary abilities to make those picks when you know that they have quarterbacks getting off their spot and having to throw not in the position they want to so big shout out to him because I think I've always you know and obviously I got like Ife Onyemenem as well having a strong year for them as well so it's the more I see you know put aside what Laurier's been or pardon me what Waterloo's been or has not been this year uh, every week there's always something that makes me more and more impressed with this Golden Hawk team well we remember like I don't want to be you know necessarily harking back to past past Laurier teams but I mean you know I don't know if if I if I'm 100% certain on saying you know this is probably you know the best quarterback they've had, um, let's say maybe over the past decade or so, you know, you're talking about, you know, Michael Neville, you're talking about, you know, Carousello and things like that. But I feel like the offense is a lot different than it was back then. And I feel like, you know, you had more of, you know, I want to call it a run and shoot kind of mentality where you had Gordon and you had kind of the deep balls behind it and you threw some slants and things like that. But I feel like they're doing like, they're a much more well-rounded offense at this point, able to, you know, do so many more different things and adjust as necessary. You know, they're not just taking deep shot to to a Curly Gittins Jr. or anything like that. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I think, you know, those those defenses those years probably get the nod for me <laughs> over that current Laurier team. And maybe yeah. I'm biased because, you know, you um, up against them. <laughs> they certainly, uh, you know, did, did their thing when they played us, you know. But um, I feel like, it's so interesting to see kind of as the years go on and really kind of like that DNA is still, is still kind of there to extend it really like, to me, it, like it makes me maybe a bit nostalgic uh, kind of thinking about this team. And, you know, I think there definitely could be, could be a run, um, you know, obviously depending on how we feel about some other teams, but um, definitely a team that could, we could see, you know, in the semifinals or, or Yates cup, something like that. And I definitely would be shocked if I didn't see him in, in the semifinal, depending on the matchup. So, yeah, and you hearken back to some of those other teams. Um, yep, another name that should be mentioned in those sort of QB conversations, Tristan Arndt um, for uh, for Laurier as well. Also a member of the Faculty of Education at Western University right now. Shout out to uh, shout out to the Faculty of Ed. Uh, but uh, you know, when we talk about Laurier, a program that's it's easy to forget in, in talking about all those great teams, those great defenses, and and, and stellar players. Um, you know, you mentioned Curly Gittin's name, um, but it's it's. It's easy to then forget that this is a team that's been out of the playoffs for a couple of years now and has been a team that I've been really ticked off at because they've still been super talented on a number of facets of the ball and just some weird stuff going on. I, I, I don't really what to chalk it up to when they would put up these like lackluster seasons. So in many ways, I almost feel like having some of that pressure off of it's like, hey, forgot, forget about Laurie for a quick second and let them to be like, no, 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 we're still the Golden Hawks. We're still one of the you know, preeminent teams in the OUA. Um, last thing I want to say real quickly, we're giving love to kickers left, right, and center here. So, you know, good job punting the ball by the two guys in this game and Dawson Hodge and Cole Crossett, both for Hodge, 464 yards kicking, Crossett, 474 yards, a uh, handful uh, within the 20 for each of them. And some pretty stellar numbers as far as the long balls for each of those guys. So once again, I guess we're doing no in the, in the week, in the spirit of Thanksgiving and, <laughs> and being, you know, charitable and being kind and, and all that. We're, you know, sh- shouting out to the kickers. Um, I, I might count. Ca- 
contradict myself on that whole being charitable thing when we get to the Guelph game. But nonetheless, shout out to the kickers. Real bitter and fickle alumni this weekend. I love I love to see when it comes out of you, Zach. It's hey, it's it's it ain't it ain't me. It ain't just me. Uh, for Waterloo, they head down to uh, the nation's capital, take on the Carlton Ravens next week. Carlton, of course, coming off the bye. And for Laurier, they will be returning home. Well, I mean, <laughs> they pretty much were home, but to take on the Guelph Griffins. And now let's talk about the Guelph Griffins because we had the Battle of Highway Six on Friday night. You know, Nate. Uh, my, my lovely uh, my lovely father came down to watch uh, me coach in London Friday afternoon. You know, big kind of homecoming game at South Collegiate. Nice, picked up the nice dub, and we were coming home for the weekend. And then you know, we're looking at the timing and everything. We're like, hey, you know what? Stop and let's stop in Guelph. Let's check out what's going on there. Mac Guelph, one of the big rivalries from the 2010s. Two teams that have been pretty what the heck's going on this type of year this year so we went and we stopped in we got there you know a bit of traffic we got there about five minutes to uh to the end of the first half and man i i don't know where to really begin from what i saw when we got in there i you know final score in this game start there i suppose as we start with most of our games the mcmaster marauders 41 the guelph griffins 12 i believe that those 12 points which includes a touchdown by Guelph is the first touchdown they've now scored at home at least or did they score a touchdown against Queens I don't even remember either way things are not good in the Royal City monumentally not good like that is an understatement and it's not just the performance on the field it is the sentiments that if people think I am uh, being a, a bitter or 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 a disgruntled alumni it is so far from just me, and there are things that are being said online in the Twittersphere, Instagramosphere that go way beyond anything I've ever said on our podcast. So things are things Dire- are directly on the team's post, like bold. That's bold be- action, bold behavior. That is uh, going to the source with your feelings, you know. I don't necessarily want to repeat everything because it's you know I I think our you know job responsibility you, you duty could whatever go look it's, it's in the public yeah if, if you want to see. if you want to know what we're talking about you can go look up at the guelph griffins instagram and look through the comment section on some of their latest posts specifically related to that game <laughs> nate you've done you've you've regaled us with some singing before on our on this pod in celebration of your of your queen's golden gales and uh, I, I may have done a rendition of law of the jungle for uh, a time last year when guelph uh, performed well but the the final lines of that are you can't take a griffin spirit you can't take a griffin's heart and i don't say it's directed towards any of the players because i think this just i think it's hard it would be hard to be part of that team and not feel this way but honestly what i saw was a dispirited and disheartened team out there and i don't know what's going to happen uh moving forward with the squad both on the the from all components but man um this is as bleak a situation as you perhaps have with any team right now in the OUA. I'm going to stop talking right now. Nate, do you have anything? uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, like looking at it in kind of the neutral perspective, I mean, I feel like, 
you know, obviously I think we've become pretty accustomed to, you know, Guelph success and obviously, you know, being in the semifinal last year. And I feel like, you know, basically a perennial playoff team, uh, I'm sure at this point, maybe they missed a year here or there, but I feel like, you know, there's sort of a constant in the league and, you know, having an eye on the program in general and things like that, it always feels like there, there are a few guys in kind of that, that pro discussion, you know, a couple on each side of the ball. And I just like, I don't like, I don't really see the same uh, things as, as we saw before, you know, and I feel like I'm, I feel pretty lost about like what the answer is. I mean, like, I feel like the quarterback thing, you know, it's been beaten to death. And, you know, when you, when everyone's putting up um, some non-stellar numbers, um, you know, maybe you could feel feel a bit lost as, as a coach or, you know, but I, it's really, it's really, it's really, really not good at, at the moment. And, you know, it's hard, it's hard to see it getting better in, in the short term. And you wonder kind of, what's going to happen next year, you know, cause we talked about early on kind of this, you know, idea that, you know, maybe, maybe it is going to be a transition year for Guelph. Maybe, you know, they were due for kind of a, a reshuffle and kind of this cycle that they've had um, over several years, but even kind of in wanting to learn of kind of what's going to be the future of the program bar, like, you know, Isaiah Smith, you know, I can't really, say you know oh we have this this quarterback that that's looked pretty good or you know the defense has, has shown some flashes and things like that like it's really you know i'm i'm a bit uh yeah it's just really not good at the moment and i don't know if there's much to really hang your hat on um at this current point in time i'll say two last things on the Guelph side because we should talk about mac because this is a team now that in 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 most Almost definitely will be making the playoffs. Will be probably that you know taking on you know Queens or Laurier or Ottawa, depending on how that second position shakes out, um, or how a few other things shake out at the end of the team. So the end of the schedule. So we should be talking about them. But two last things, you know, and the first piece being you know you mentioned like aside from Isaiah Stewart, where's the bright spot? And you know we've mentioned a few of the guys that have been injured for this team that we still haven't seen: Christian Stewart, Anthony Mortuzo, young guys in their own right, I believe. And uh, you know maybe they'll come back. But you know what? Just what I find so incredible is thinking how fast forward like three years, we're going to be seeing Clark Barnes, you know, kind of having kind of doing the Key and Schaefer Baker 2.0 of putting up being a, a very good CFL player and being like, wait, where did he play again? He played at Guelph? How was how he at Guelph? Oh, right, he had a few of those returns. It's it's maddening. Um, and then, you know, about, you know, the quarterbacks, <laughs> the things you see being at a game live versus just watching on the TV. And honestly, I, 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 I had to laugh when I saw what I saw sitting there in the stands because sitting not too far from me in the bleachers was Sean Law, just in street clothes. I don't know what the deal is with that, but, you know, when this team was passing the ball effectively, and it should be obviously stated, Keandre Smith having a nice little time with them for himself with the, with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. It's a big loss at receiver. But when they were passing the ball effectively last year, it was with Sean Law there at the helm, right? Um, so I don't know, um, but I'm 
I, I'm done talking about them. Um, on the Mac side of things, obviously, we saw them take uh, a number of uh, or take the ball away a number of times from Guelph. We obviously said that this is a defense. I mean, the questions about Mac haven't been on the defensive side as far as points per game. They, they're probably up, if not top of the leaderboards right now. Um, we've talked about what Duick's done all year. Daniel Bossett with the, you know, the 105 yards on the ground, which I don't want to give too, too much credit for um, just with the, you know, where Guelph is, you know, this year sort of with them, uh, with teams rushing on them. Um, but, you know, I go back to something Tom said when Mac beat Waterloo is it kind of showing that, okay, like for all the bumps in the early part of the season, you know, say what you want about the competition, but they, they showed that, okay, we do have all the component parts to put together an effective game four quarters and and this wasn't a great game for all four quarters of the game for Mac but uh is there is there some confidence you think Mac takes from this one uh moving forward I know you've had your eyes on that week nine matchup with uh Mac and, and U of T but going into Queens like is there some things from this game they can take going into a Queens game that's coming off a of bye that you know the quarterback question is still kind of in the air what they're what you know what what's James Keenan's status you know Vrenik just getting better and better each week what are the takeaways from Mac that you can take from this game going into uh, a pretty massive game uh, against your Golden Gales no I mean you, you you take what you can I mean I think you know the the biggest positive in kind of what we've been looking at this team over the totality of the season is being able to run the ball and, you know, this hasn't been a Guelph defense that's been lights out against the run. So, obviously, we take that with with a grain of salt. And I think for me, it's interesting kind of coming off that, you know, obviously, you feel good about this game. You're happy about it. But I think, you know, at the same time, it's time to take the momentum and you move on. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting this week, especially coming off, you know, the Western game and really where it really didn't seem like they put up put up much of a fight and kind of, you know, this is another opportunity for them to kind of say, see where you're at as a team and kind of, okay, like, you know what, we've been up and down, we've been up and down, but now like Queens is, is the type of team we're going to see in the playoffs. And you know what, if we want to make anything of this season, like this is kind of where you're really going to find out about yourself. And I think, you know, whatever you want to make about that U of T game at the end, I think like, you know, th this Queens game, it should be, a good test of where they're at and, you know, and kind of how they feel about themselves even, because I feel like if you have any kind of pride and you have any kind of, you know, optimism about where you're going to be in this one and you kind of see a Queens team that, yeah, has done well, but let's just say, you know, they're not, not at full strength, obviously um, you're going to go in, you should go in there with some confidence and you should play well and you, it should be a close game. If you have any kind of uh, designs on anything beyond a first round out. So I think it'll be very fascinating to watch that one next week. Um, but, you know, as far as this one goes, you know, you really kind of scored most of your points at the end of the game. So, I mean, yeah, like it was good. A lot of defense-related stuff. And, you know, we'll see how that offense does against, you know, that, that, that Queens defense we're all pretty familiar with. And shout out to the people uh, making the schedule at Queens for, you know, still giving us a little bit of a change of pace because we have four one o'clock games and then the Queens Mac game starting at three. So a little bit of, uh, you know, that game 
on an island to pay attention to, but then more eyes on you, Mac, to uh, to really show us something. Um, so let's move into the the two seven o'clock games in Toronto on Friday. We'll start with the game that you were in attendance for. Did you when, when you when you rolled in? Did you get any kind of like a you know beer cozy tote bag as being official season ticket holder of the U of T Varsity Blues, Nate? No, I didn't. There's no sticker, you know. There's, you know, you can always. They always offer to paint your face at the stadium if you show up. So I Would passed on that. Oh. I did. I did pass on that, unfortunately. But um, you know, I, I, it's a proud moment. And I might even be beyond, if I make it to that mag game at the end of the year, Zach. That's gonna, that's gonna be five games for me. Pretty, uh, pretty outrageous. I'm, I'm the number one fan, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, the number one fan and their number one enemy somehow as well, <laughs> depending on who you ask in that program. Um, but I'll, I'll kind of give it to you to you know, it's it, this is one of those games and where we've had a few like this this year where it, the talking points can be a little tough. I, I mean, to me, lean, it, lean, uh, lean, yeah, a little slim pickings. Uh, you know, it's U of T putting up twenty one points in the fourth quarter. Uh, whether you want to make anything of that, just depending on who's on the field, is just interesting to see. Uh, nonetheless, it certainly looks good when you at least uh, take a snapshot of that box score. Um, but just from kind of being in the stadium, I guess this was your first game seeing Western live this year. Yes, sir. Uh, so whether it's from that standpoint or anywhere you want to take it, I guess just from you know having eyes in the building. What were some of your sort of key takeaways? Well, I mean, it, it was, you know, interesting arriving and uh, speaking with, you know, some recent alumni and finding out that uh, U of T were, were, let's just say, missing a few guys in the front seven for this one. So, you know, immediately it was, you know, lowered my expectations for the game, let's say, with already a, a vaunted Western rushing attack, maybe the best in the nation, you know, depending on who you ask. But this was close for about a quarter and a half. I mean, it was it was seven nothing for a while. Um, UFT had a couple of decent drives early, you know, had a great fake punt call um, that you know didn't end up amounting to anything. But I should say, you know, maybe people were it was a little bit interesting for for the first little while, and then next thing you know, um, a couple large runs later, and you know, it's it's twenty one nothing and it's twenty eight nothing at halftime. So, I mean, it just kind of shows you how how quickly kind of this when things kind of break for this Western team, they they can break wide open. Um, and, you know, other than that, I feel like this is it's exactly what, uh, you know, whatever you thought was going to happen in this game was absolutely absolutely happened in this game. And up until kind of, uh, you know, funny enough, when the, when the starters left the game for for Toronto, at least, you know, um, at quarterback and things like that, you know, then once things settled down, that's kind of when they got their points, but I wouldn't like, I wouldn't put too much, uh, too much sauce on those 21 points or put too much thought into it. You know, is looking at some bright spot. I think, yeah, if you want to think about the future or something like that, but in terms of sort of where they are right now, it, it, it's not really, this doesn't really change my opinion about them or, Western, I don't think, but um, I will say for those um, that that do like to partake in a little a little um, friendly wager from time to time, you would think there's a lot of Western alumni in the building. You know, anytime you get you get Queens playing, you know, a Queens or a Western or something, the alumni in the city love to make an appearance. And let's just say 
barring a you know a 30 something point victory maybe some of them weren't too happy leaving the stadium because you know keeping it on the spread in this one closed at 40 and a half points for western mm-hmm. and they were covering for a very very long time and that is until the clocks hit zero and the blues scored on the very last play of the game covering the spread so maybe you know as much as you know western expects to win and even talking to some guys you know ask them is this is this fun is this exciting for you guys to watch this no and i think you know what any excitement they did get out of the game was ripped out of their hands at the last minute so i do take some pleasure in knowing that um there are probably a few unhappy mustangs fans um at the end of this game yeah late touchdowns in the battle of waterloo covering spreads and uh late touchdowns in this one uh you know ripping all those to shreds um and I, I don't mean to be perhaps I mean, hopefully I'm not outing any of the people you've been so uh, delicately talking about. But you not only ran oh, as my microphone falls down, you not only ran into uh, a, a Western Mustangs alumni there, but you ran into it at the 55 alumni and Eddie Meredith. Yeah, it was really, really a kind of, you know, for, full circle moment. You know, it's wow. You know, kind of <laughs> whose, whose shoes I'm standing in at this very moment, you know, is. Like look, staring into a mirror, Zach. No, I think I I think that constantly when I think about you and Eddie. Uh, for Western, they return home to take on uh, the Windsor Lancers, and uh, for UFT, they go on their bye before going into that uh, game that we've been very much um, once again spearheaded by, play, by play, you. Playoffs, they're in the playoffs now. That's yeah. a playoff game. Hundred percent. That's a that's a, that's a great way to articulate it. And uh, Mac, of course, we talked about that Guelph game as being a playoff game, um, kind of in that mindset already. So that could be a that, that, that you hit it on the head when you brought that game up a while ago. That's going to be a really interesting matchup. But we're getting two weeks ahead of ourselves, and uh, we we do need to talk about one more game involving said Windsor Lancers who will be taking on Western next week. And it was their victory that they uh, snatched from the the well, I don't want to say from the clutches of defeat because pretty much it was seemingly a tight first half. But Windsor final score in this one thirty three, the York Lions ten. Um, I guess what the most is the most exciting part of this game, York hitting their first field goal in how long was that? That was in quite some time. Uh, we, we had the since, tweet since post before COVID, Zach. Since before COVID, um, you know, so over a season, almost you know, we're nearing the end of the second season of that drought, but they they're okay now. It's all good. So we had a game, you know, we had a little bit of a fun, we had a little bit of fun, um, partly at my expense when we previewed this week in my uh, gross underestimation of what the uh, bookmakers set the line to be when I said 13 and a half and you threw out the, was a 32 and a half or wherever that was. Um, and, you know, we've kind of talked a bit about how some of these games have had people, no doubt had people pulling out their hair if they're so lucky to have hair on their head uh, in just how the scores broke out. And this is a game where going to half, it's 10-9 for the York Lions. Uh, Windsor, of course, opening it up in the second half scoring um 24 points to to zero by York. Um, so we have that aspect of the game. We have York. I mean, we've kind of always talked about them having this like frisky defense that kind of gives teams fits. Uh, and, you know, and we've talked about how with Windsor, when they lost Skelton, there's more pressure on the running attack. But now Skelton's back. It was 16 for 21, 195. Um, but at the same time, 
Joey Zorn, only 12 carries for 55 yards, still nets a TD. Um, Joey, if, if you think getting 55 yards is what gets you spoken about on this show, no, just keep doing your thing, though. I appreciate the uh, the branding help on that point. Um, seeing Avante McCoy get a few carries uh, for York. He's missed a ton of time. <laughs> York, I mean, York seemingly is still kind of where we thought they were going to be. Windsor is seemingly, you know, despite the win, uh, you know, a, a team that has gone from OUA darling to uh, I don't know what to make of it. W- what do you think of this ball game, Nate? I'm, I'm having deja vu to the, this Windsor team last year. You know, everyone gets so mad at everyone when they're not in the top 10. And sure, maybe they're deserving at the time. You know, I'm not going to dispute that. But like, you know. They are, you know, not to say they are who we thought they were. You know, their playoff team is fantastic, but, you know, they're certainly not this going to be this, you know, five and three or six and two ball club or anything like that. Um, and really, I mean, it can be scary when, when you, you're in York and, you, and you're down and, you know, you feel like, well, guys, come on, get it together, you know, and, and they did. But um, really just strange. I don't understand. This is the second week in a row that York's done really well against the opposing team's starting running back. And yet somehow every other running back seems to do tremendously against them. Windsor's still rushing for, for over 300 yards, I think, in the game somehow. So, I don't know, just really strange tendency, you know, just, just as I'm pulling stuff from this game. Yeah, um, so, York, so York shuts down Anthony Souls. Now York shuts down Joey Zorn. I mean, that- I, don't, I don't I don't want to say that they have the recipe, but it's... it's <laughs> They, they know something these other teams don't, I guess, at least for for one guy out of the trio. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. You know, I feel vindicated. I talked about, you know, Windsor, Windsor covering the spread in the preview pod. And, you know, that's obviously not financial advice, but I hope maybe, you know, one or two of you capitalized on that because um, they did end up covering by, by a pretty solid margin. Um, but, yeah, I feel like, you know, this in theory, really just an extension of kind of the typical York, you know, we're going to make you struggle for a while, but, you know, you're, you're going to pull away eventually, I guess, you know, right. <laughs> Maybe it happened for an extra quarter this time, but in the end, result mainly the same. Yeah. The, the litmus test lines, I guess, as I've come to refer to them as, um, you know, for York, it, it, in so many cases, I feel like we talk about the early bye week being the disadvantageous thing when you especially if you start with the bye and then you're just full steam ahead for the whole year um york finishes off their season next week when uh the ggs roll into town and you know we already know york's not gonna be making the playoffs but then their season ends a week earlier so i don't you know make of that what you will whether you think you know if you're part of that team and you're like goodness gracious finally or you know if that just seems i don't know whatever you want to make of that one for for Windsor, you know, we obviously talked about that York. You know, you sort of mentioned York doing the York thing, where they keep it tight and maybe a bit tighter than expected, or a bit tighter tighter for a bit longer than they have against other opponents. And you know, as much as Windsor has been a bit all over the map in these last few weeks, I mean, it's one of those games that I think we talked about going into it, where it's like, like you just you 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 had to win this game. If you're Windsor, because right now they're sitting at three and three, U of T at three and four, you know, right behind them. It, it kind of looks like, you know, in theory, if they had dropped this game, I mean, 
we talk about that Mac UFT game that's going to be so huge with them sitting right next to each other in the standings. That would have opened the possibility for a Week 9 matchup. Well, the Week 9 matchup, we're going to have the game. But the Week 9 matchup of Waterloo going to Windsor possibly being a win uh, a win in your in type situation. So obviously Windsor was able to sort of put their foot down in the second half in this game and sort of be like, all right, enough of these games. But like that was crossing my mind when I'm kind of seeing these score updates being at the Guelph Mac game, being like, wait, hold on. If they drop this game, first of all, shame on you. Secondly, does that open the door for another week nine matchup of win and you're in, lose and see you next year type situation? So they got the job done. I think that probably officially will eliminate Waterloo from any dream of contention because right now the only team, if Mac were to somehow, you know, biff the rest of their schedule, um, well, I shouldn't say biff it because, you know, they're going up against a tough team in Queens and then we have that game against UFT. So it could go two and six. Um, it's not unrealistic. But even if Waterloo picks that up, Mac has the advantage over them having beaten them. Probably getting too far ahead of myself in all this. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but definitely a situation. I just, where I just think generally, yeah. like the the tie. If you're Waterloo and you do make the three and five, I think there are a lot of tiebreakers that are not going to be in your favor. And I think you know Windsor. You know, it's if let's say they're going to lose to Western three and four, even if they drop that last Waterloo game, you know, mm-hmm. and say it's you know U of T stuck with them at three and five, then. They're okay. Just generally more. I think they have, uh, you know, having that U of T win for Windsor, I think is, you know, makes them pretty solid. Um, but, you know, I'm not saying that for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it'll be, and you know, it'll be interesting to see we, Carlton obviously coming off the bye and, and they'll be hosting uh, those Waterloo Warriors uh, going into week eight and kind of seeing where the Ravens are at off of uh, off of the, the, the Panda loss and the big kind of question mark. We've kind of just, you know, hammered on their 2022 campaign as a whole. It, it does look like you have, like we, we talked, it was you, me and Tom. We kind of did a little tier type conversation of like, uh, you seemingly got your one. Do you have a one B or is it straight into a two? And if it's a tier two, how many teams kind of slot into that? And a hundred percent, if we go back and listen to that, there are a number of teams we were putting in that tier two that are at the basement right now. Um, but it does seem like you have Western, you have the group of you know tier two teams, and then you have your group of tier three teams, and then a couple of teams at the bottom that won't be making the playoffs. That um, you know. That uh, well, better better luck are, next are what year. they are what they are, and the records are the records, and that's, that's they played the games, and that's what happened. To quote you, Nate, we are nothing but men of science, and we can only you know imp- judge the empirical data that we get thrown our way week after week and make of it what we will. So, with that in mind, um, oh, and in case I, I didn't mention it, though I'm certain I must have in passing and talking about the other games uh, for the uh, Windsor Lancers, they head to uh, Western to take on the Mustangs in Week Eight. And for York, of course, as I did say, they finished up their season hosting the GGs coming off the bye, coming off of that huge uh, Panda win, uh, retaining Pedro with the GGs. Um, so that'll do it for us with the Week 7 uh, review. Um, you'll be hearing this probably after most people have celebrated Thanksgiving, if that's what you're into. But nonetheless, uh, if you're with your family, loved ones, whomever, or just taking some time to chill out with the long weekend, hope you're having a good time doing whatever you're doing this weekend. Um, I, I 
I think we got Tom back in the mix uh, when we go into our week eight preview of all the action going on then. So uh, until we talk to you then, we'll see you there at the 55.